Two thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4 slash Lisa to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4 slash Lisa. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Up next, The Truth with Lisa Booth, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. Welcome back to The Truth with Lisa Booth. This week, we're digging into the truth about critical race theory and what we're seeing in public schools across America. As many of you know, critical race theory has really taken center stage throughout COVID. As a lot of kids were forced to stay home due to government mandates, a lot of parents saw behind the curtain. They saw the kind of things that public schools were teaching their children, trying to indoctrinate their children with this racial division, with this Marxist garbage. And what just happened? You had Biden's DOJ wage war against parents who have been going to school board meetings across the country to stand up for their children, to have the right to know what their children are being taught in schools and with teachers whose salaries they pay. So to get to the bottom of all this, to get to the bottom of what the FBI is doing, to get to the bottom of this indoctrination, to get to the bottom of this critical race theory garbage, we're going to have Christopher Rufo on the show. He's a senior fellow and the director of the Initiative on Critical Race Theory at the Manhattan Institute. He's also a contributing editor at City Journal, and he previously served as executive director at the Documentary Foundation. And in that role, he directed four films for PBS. So this guy's worn a lot of hats. But more recently, Chris has become one of the voices, if not the voice of authority on critical race theory in the country. He's advised leaders across the country on the issue, including school board candidates, state legislators and members of Congress. He has been leading the charge on this national movement against critical race theory. 
It's made him a target of the left. But at this time where it feels hopeless, at this time where it feels like the fight is just too big, the hill is too big to climb with what we're facing and what we're, what we're up against with the left in the country, he has put points on the board. So we're going to talk to Chris Rufo about critical race theory and everything that is going on in the country in this very, very important episode of The Truth with Lisa Booth. So the FBI is now gearing up to go after parents. You've got that right. Parents in America. So we're going to get into all of this with Christopher Rufo, who has been hitting critical race theory head on and just investigating and uncovering uh, the underbelly of all this that's happening in the country. So, Chris, I am really excited for this interview, and I, I really appreciate your time today. It's great to be with you. You know, so, Chris, you wear a ton of hats, right? So you were a filmmaker, a writer, you're an investigative journalist, you were a founder and director of Battlefront, a public policy research center. How did you get in? I mean, you're probably, you know, the face in this fight against critical race theory in the country. How did that happen? You know, h- how did you assume this role? You know, kind of, I think like any great calling, it's something that almost happens to you. And uh, I'd been doing a series of reports on really left-wing ideologies in West Coast government. So I've been think- seeing a critical race theory here and there in some of my reporting. And then I had a series of leaks that really got sent to me uh, uh, at-, at random almost by chance. Uh, and then I broke a series of stories, starting with the city of Seattle, which was holding a training, a seg- racially segregated training for white employees, teaching them how to interrupt their whiteness and internalize white superiority. And that one story set off a firestorm in the media, uh, but also, more importantly, uh, led to then hundreds and now thousands of people all over this country in schools, corporations, uh, universities, etc., sending me these documents to say, hey, critical race theory training programs and ideologies are devouring our institutions. Uh, can you shine a light on it? And so I've been really chasing this over the past year, breaking dozens of stories and uh, and I think having a huge impact uh, across the board. Well, and, and what's crazy is I think this has really come to the forefront largely because of your reporting and, and, you know, uncovering a lot of this stuff. And then also, you know, with parents seeing what their children are being taught in schools with the school, you know, with schools across the country being closed and having to go to Zoom classes and parents just being more involved. But how long has this been going on? I mean, we've seen it impacting military corporations, you know, schools across the country. But how long do you think, you know, how long has this been going on? It started in the universities now more than 30 years ago. And I think that was really an old story. Conservatives who pay attention to the news, they know that universities have been really corrupted by these critical ideologies. And then the next institution to fall was really the public school system. And from my reporting, the earliest I can date this back to is about 2010. So in 2010, some of the most left-leaning school districts like Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington, start to import critical race theory from the universities into the K-12 setting, and then slowly building, slowly building, and finally, boom, it's almost like a bomb went off last year with the death of George Floyd. All of a sudden, it's not just Portland and Berkeley and, 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 and Brooklyn uh, schools that are teaching this stuff. It's really everywhere, in blue states, red states. It's something uh, that just was, was really building slowly for about a decade, and then just exploded. And that's what parents were able to see uh, when they watched their kids' lessons to say, hey, wait a minute, we're not teaching uh, just the facts and honest history. 
Uh, we're actually, in some cases, seeing kids being indoctrinated, uh, forced to denounce their own racial and sexual identities, and then being encouraged, for example, in the Portland public school system, to become revolutionaries. Uh, this is something that was deeply shocking to parents, and I think the, the ferocious backlash and protest that we've seen at school board meetings uh, reflects a real and serious problem. And I'm so glad that parents are, are are stepping up. And we're talking about babies here, right? So like you've exposed in one elementary school in California, uh, forced third graders to deconstruct their racial and sexual identities and rank themselves according to their power and privilege third graders. So, I mean, we're talking about babies being taught this garbage. That's right. I mean, one of the key tenets of the critical race ideology is that children start to become racist by three to six months old. Um, this is a really widely held belief. You know, the critical race guru, Ibram Kendi, who's probably the most famous person right now to popularize this ideology, says over and over, uh, you know, babies become racist by six months and really become white supremacists by the age of three or four. And so what they are using that as is a justification for really beginning this process of, of brainwashing very early in education. So you see pre-kindergarten, kindergarten um, documents that are revealing that they're really trying to stoke a sense of hyper racial consciousness. Uh, they're trying to shame certain racial groups and then trying to uh, persuade other racial groups that they're perpetual victims. Um, and you see the really, it's almost like a psychodrama that plays out among adults uh, now being forced upon kids as young as three and four years old. Um, I, I think it's disgraceful. I think it's abusive. And even more outrageously, uh, a lot of these kids have no other option but to attend these public schools. They're forced by the government to attend these schools and then without the consent of parents are being forced to undergo a deep ideological indoctrination uh, that in many cases violates the conscience, not only of the parents, but violates the basic rights of the children themselves. And you mentioned, Kendi, you know, these individuals who are sort of spearheading this in America, have they profited from all of this? Of course. I mean, like any good Marxists uh, throughout history, the, the people in charge of the regime or the ideology always manage to get rich. Uh, you see Ibram Kendi striking multi-million dollar deals uh, left and right. And it, it really is uh, a, a deep irony that someone who has said explicitly, uh, in order to be anti-racist, you also have to be anti-capitalist, is one of the most uh, prolific accumulators of capital uh, in our society. And I think the, the obvious case to make is, well, this is hypocrisy. He doesn't really believe in anti-capitalism or, or communism. But there's actually a, a, a deeper truth that I think this reveals that's more important. It's that uh, this ideology is self-serving for elites. So people like Ibram Kendi, people like Nicole Hannah-Jones, people like, uh, you know, the Secretary of Education, they can use this ideology to secure their own status and power as as left-wing elites, uh, while really offering nothing to the tens of millions of poor kids of any racial background in our country. Uh, critical race theory is offers them nothing, offers them no means of improving their lives, no means of making their way up the ladder. Uh, they actually uh, secure their own power and then kick the ladder away uh, and then use the poor. They use these kids uh, as justification uh, for their own policies. It's really, uh, I think, a moral crime uh, that we need to, to, to uncover in order for people to truly see it. What's the worst example you have seen so far? 
No. Well, I've done now dozens of these stories and uh, they all kind of blur together at a certain point because they're all so atrocious. And every time I think I've seen the worst of it, uh, you know, you see something even worse. But a, a recent example was from uh, Google, which had been their one of their diversity, equity and inclusion leads uh, had been uh, had created an internal document uh, that, that, that showed a graphic of a pyramid with Ben Shapiro on it. And Ben Shapiro was supposedly the foundation of the pyramid of white supremacy, ultimately leading towards genocide. I mean, the, the level of derangement and delusion for someone who's really a kind of kind of establishment, uh, I'd say almost a moderate conservative, uh, uh, you know, very reasonable person uh, that anything left of, you know, or anything right of Kamala Harris, uh, it, it turns you into a white supremacist. I think it's indicative of the the politics that we see driving this. Obviously, anything to the right of Kamala Harris uh, leaves a substantial amount of room because <laughs> she is uh, very progressive here. You know, how 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 deep and long are the tentacles of critical race theory in our society? I mean, we're talking about schools. We've seen it uh, being taught in uh, the military, corporations, like just just how deep and long are these tentacles? You know, I think that the ideology is certainly dominant and well-established in the universities. That's old news. But what I think is the really, I'll give them credit, their, their stroke of genius, uh, the critical race theory supporters, is that they've turned their ideology into a bureaucracy. So you see departments of diversity and inclusion or departments of equity or all of them together, departments of diversity, equity and inclusion. Uh, these are nice, soft sounding words, but oftentimes I'd say uh, more often than not, uh, this is really a kind of mechanism in the bureaucracy to launder in critical race theory uh, into the workplace, into the military, into the school system, into the corporation. And so what they've done is that they've changed, they've changed from just pure theory to actual political power by cementing themselves in the bureaucracy as diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so anywhere you see that, you're likely to see critical race theory, and then you're likely to be very challenged to get rid of it, because it's one thing to say, hey, we're not going to promote uh, these ideas in the workplace. This, isn't, this doesn't reflect our values. It's another thing to then abolish a department of equity. Um, that is going to be a much taller task, but uh, ultimately, that's where I think the challenge lies, is to not let this spread bureaucratically uh, and to reverse the gains that they've made in the last decade. How much about the legal system do you think this has impacted? Because I was reading recently, you know, we know that George Soros has bankrolled liberal district attorneys and prosecutors across the country. These prosecutors have been dropping charges and releasing violent career criminals into cities like Chicago, San Francisco. The list goes on. Is this soft on crime approach from these individuals rooted in critical race theory? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the, the justification or the pretext for a lot of this is that this core idea in critical race theory, that any disparity of outcome is by definition uh, an, an expression or extension of racism and white supremacy. So if African-Americans have higher rates of incarceration, uh, the answer is not perhaps because uh, statistically, they have higher rates of, of crime, especially violent crime. But the answer is just because the system is, uh, is institutionally racist and therefore justifies any intervention to reduce those numbers. So you see in California, for example, you know, where I am in, in Seattle, Washington area, uh, just trying to actually shut down prisons, uh, release people 
uh, stopping to do prosecutions uh, for anything that has a, a, what's called a disparate impact, so that impacts one group more than another. Uh, the problem, however, is that uh, these issues are complex. I mean, certainly in the past, there has been uh, institutional racism. I think everyone would agree with that. Uh, but I don't think today that's really what's driving disparities. There's a whole range of social and economic factors that play a much more important role. But what critical race theory does is it flattens every variable. It flattens every explanation to a single explanation, which is always and forever racism. Uh, and so they use that as justification for these policies where they're uh, stopping to prosecute, emptying prisons. Uh, and then I think what we've seen really in the last year uh, causing tremendous chaos in America's largest cities. Well, and what's interesting is, I mean, we saw this uh, play out in Chicago recently where the Cook County state attorney, Kim Fox, at odds, actually, with liberal Chicago mayor Lori Lightfoot because there was this shootout between rival gangs. And Kim Fox decided not to press charges because she cited multiple combatants. The shootout had left one person dead and five others were taken into custody. So it's interesting to even see, you know, Lori Lightfoot and Kim Fox at odds with each other. But I mean, so quite literally, this is getting people killed, at least when we look at it uh, applied to the law. Yeah, that's right. And I think if I if, if we're talking about the same story that I saw, yeah, they're, they're invoking this old uh, legal statute of mutual combat. Uh, the idea that if two sides agree to a duel or a fistfight, um, they can actually do so legally. And so what you see is you have a huge modern urban center like Chicago um, devolving into into a kind of Wild West style justice where if rival gangs you know, a, a agree to a, a shootout, they can do so uh, without uh, without suffering the consequences by the law. I mean, this is really uh, a kind of culmination into an absurd conclusion of these policies that, uh, in, in fact, they don't actually uh, keep people safe, especially uh, low-income neighborhoods, minority neighborhoods, uh, but they're actually unleashing and legitimizing a new wave of violence uh, that kills predominantly black men between the ages of 16 and 29. And so if you care about these people uh, and you want to see them sur literally survive uh, I think we're going to need to really rethink a lot of these policies uh, that have so far failed to deliver any results. Let's take a quick commercial break and then back with Chris Rufo on critical race theory on the other side. Two thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. You could be one of them sitting in the dark and cold for hours, for days, maybe even weeks. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. Folks say this new solar generator from 4Patriots is worth its weight in gold. Why? Because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Or other devices like an electric blanket, microwave, RV air conditioner, or even an electric wheelchair. You also get 12 outlets, including four AC outlets so you can power more devices at once. And two USB-C outlets, which can charge your phone 20 times faster than a regular plug. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4Patriots.com slash Lisa to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4Patriots.com slash Lisa. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls 
offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free the national sales event is on at your toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new suv like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moon roof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. What's the linkage between the 1619 project and critical race theory? It shares uh, certain of the same uh, key assumptions. The assumption is that the United States was not founded on the Declaration and the Constitution, which promised liberty uh, and equality. Uh, But in fact, that is really a smokescreen, an illusion, a camouflage. Uh, And in reality, the country was founded on uh, racism and slavery that still exists today. The idea is not just to say we had a historical period where uh, slavery was, uh, was legal and widely practiced. That's a basic fact we can all agree on. But they make it uh, an almost metaphor or an analogy where they say slavery is the permanent condition and permanent essence of the United States. And so critical race theorists such as Derek Bell argue that, uh, in fact, some African-Americans today in modern society are the functional equivalent of slaves and that life hasn't improved for them uh, in hundreds of years. And so this idea is to go back in history, uh, delegitimize the founding of the country, uh, because once you've delegitimized the history, the origin, the purpose of a country, then you can manipulate it according to your ideology. And so that is really the program. It's to go back in the history, to cut off uh, that foundation, to cut off uh, those historical roots, Uh, in order to justify a political program that explicitly wants to seize private property, uh, suppress freedom of speech, end the system of individual rights and equality under the law, and replace it with what some people I think are accurately calling a system of ethno-communism, a system of race-based Marxism, 
that they've outlined in their theoretical papers. Well, and of course, you know, if, if a country is rooted in racism and it's inherently evil, it makes it easier to burn it to the ground. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You, you, you express it mu- much more succinctly than I did, but that's exactly right. I mean, you know, and, and, and I think in very simple terms, they're, they're convincing people and then especially children uh, to hate this country, to see it as an oppressor, uh, to see it as uh, racist, uh, to see it as exploitative. And then when you create that uh, feeling in people, uh, then it's very easy to unleash them in the streets, uh, to loot, to burn, to kill. Uh, and that's, I think, what we saw last year so dramatically uh, is a direct result of these theories uh, becoming mainstream. Well, and what's interesting is, you know, there was an article recently in Fox News about how uh, one of France's leading magazines recently ran a piece titled The Suicide of America and questioning if the American empire was collapsing because of all of these woke ideologies that we are taking on and that are essentially consuming uh, America. And then even Emmanuel Macron has recently said that woke culture was racializing their society. You know, is this just a problem in the United States or, or what's the reach globally that's going on right now with, you know, some of these woke ideologies like critical race theory? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think what we've seen in, in France has been quite fun uh, to watch, actually. They have been suffering from some of these same problems. And uh, and even Macron came out, I think, over the summer or maybe last year. Uh, uh, and he said, hey, we need to stop uh, importing these destructive uh, identity-based ideologies from the United States. Uh, so, so it's kind of a, a battle between U.S. and Europe. But what I would say is that, uh, it, to, to my mind, Europe has a different set of problems. Uh, Europe has uh, uh, problems that are unique to the continent. Uh, while our problems in many ways are self-inflicted, you've seen uh, plummeting rates of, uh, among the public who's been surveyed over the last 20 years uh, of race relations. You had roughly 73% of the public 10 years ago, say that relations, race relations were generally positive. Uh, that's, that's gone down by 40 points among liberals. And so the question is, is our society objectively more racist uh, than it was 10 years ago? Uh, I, I don't think there's evidence uh, to support that. And yet people's psychological and subjective feelings are that uh, things are terrible. Things are degenerating. Things are going back in time. Um, we're really in free fall, and I don't know what it's going to take. Conservatives can try to make the case, uh, but ultimately the, the, the left is in charge of this narrative. They've pushed it successfully, um, and now we're reaping the consequences, which I think are negative for everyone. So we're going to have to figure out a new strategy to either combat this narrative or, or deprive the left of enough political power uh, that they stop pushing this as one of their key uh, pieces going forward. Is it a suicide? You know, I don't think so. I think the calls for a suicide are premature, right? And, and, and I, I try to take the long view as much as possible. Obviously, I'm in this stuff 24 hours a day. Uh, so it'd be very easy for me to feel pessimistic about it and about the future of the country. But I'm optimistic because even if you look back at the 1960s, where I'm doing a lot of research now, um, you had uh, an ongoing war in Vietnam, you had then a uh, kind of economic crisis, you had assassinations, you had uh, riots in more than 100 cities uh, across the country. I mean, you had this real extreme uh, level of social unrest that I think we're seeing an echo of today. But just as we were able to get through it uh, in the 1960s and 1970s, uh, I think we're able to get through it today. It's not going to come without a cost. 
but I think it's important for conservatives to, to realize that we still have uh, control over many institutions. And that's why I'm so glad to see parents going to school boards, uh, going to their local municipalities and trying to uh, reassert uh, public control over these institutions uh, in wherever way they can and wherever way that is most practical and have the best effect uh, for their lives. Yeah, that's good context to provide in turn, you know, in putting this in in terms of, uh, you know, what we have seen throughout history. You know, what's interesting, too, is the irony of all this is critical race theory is actually inherently racist in and of itself, because it's one, this idea that somehow white people are inherently racist. And then it's also, I mean, you look at things like what Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation have been pushing behind this anti-racist math push where inherently, you know, somehow it's racist to teach uh, you know, minority kids math or somehow that they are not capable of coming to these conclusions of the answers on their, on their own. So therefore you have to dumb down, you know, math equations and dumb down the system for them. Like how, how is that not racist and not just racist, but incredibly belittling? Yeah, it, it is. And I, I think there's this debate that I'm seeing on the right. There's a certain faction of the right that wants to answer critical race theory with a white identity politics to say, well, b- because uh, uh, they're having a kind of, uh, kind of BIPOC identity politics, the answer is a white identity politics. And I think that's a huge uh, mistake, uh, not only intellectually and morally, uh, but also it, it, it really uh, concedes too much territory to the critical race theorists. And I always tell people that uh, critical race theory is explicitly seeks to uh, shame and humiliate uh, white students, for example, uh, to hold them responsible for historical crimes that they didn't commit that happened before they were born. Uh, but it also is, uh, in my reporting, uh, deeply destructive to minority families, particularly black families, who have told me that it is uh, filling their kids with despair, pessimism, a sense that they've lost their own agency uh, and, and a kind of fatalistic view. So I think it's negative for people across the board, but also the positive thing, the reason why uh, kind of retreating into the identity politics corner is not the answer is that actually, according to the latest polling data, uh, critical race theory uh, is unpopular among people uh, of all racial groups. So, uh, for example, in a survey of the 20 fastest growing cities by Manhattan Institute, uh, the numbers show that white parents, uh, Asian parents, Latino parents and black parents all support getting rid of critical race theory from the curriculum, getting rid of systemic racism and white privilege lessons. Uh, they think it's counterproductive. So while we have activists, uh, left-wing activists in positions of power that feel like they're speaking for the majority sometimes, the reality is that everyone in this country, uh, of all racial groups and increasingly of all uh, political orientations, uh, opposes this ideology. They know that it's toxic. They know that it's racist. They know that it's destructive. Uh, and I think that's really where we start. We start with this broad coalition and try to wipe this uh, uh, this ideology out of uh, our institutions from there. Well, and I think what's particularly alarming is we've seen a lot of parents, you know, who have fled communist countries who are really sounding the alarm about this happening in schools and drawing parallels to things that they saw in the countries that they fled and what's going on in America's school systems. I mean, I know I had Maximo Averis on my podcast a long time ago, and, and he escaped Cuba uh, as a teenager, and he, he spoke at the RNC convention as well and was just talking about the parallels he saw with this, you know, Marxist ideology, this communism that is being taught in schools and pitting people against each other based off of race. So, I, you know, I feel like if we have all these people uh, who have seen this firsthand 
and seeing it happen in America, we, we should probably take notice and listen to them. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. And I think, you know, in, in, in Florida, you have uh, the Cubans and then, you know, where I'm from, I, there's, uh, you know, some uh, Russian population, people that have immigrated from the former USSR. And, and a lot of these folks are telling me exactly that. They're saying, I'm getting the same feeling uh, uh, that I had when I was the, back in the USSR. My kids' classroom experience is starting to feel like my classroom experience in, you know, 1981 uh, in the Soviet Union. And, and I think these folks have a, a kind of radar for this. They have uh, the instincts for it. They've understand, they understand where it goes. And uh, those are some of the favorite stories that I've done and reported on, where you have uh, families, for example, one woman from Iran in Portland Public Schools, uh, she told me that when she was growing up, uh, every day before school, they would line her up outside the school building and they would chant death to America. Um, and she was able to escape Iran, to come to the United States, to make a great life for herself. And she says, you know, actually crying uh, to me during this interview. And she says, you know, now my kid in Portland public schools is basically one step away from chanting death to America. And if we don't have the ability to escape to this country, uh, where can we go? This is kind of the last hope for freedom. And uh, these voices are powerful. We should listen to them. Well, yeah, now we have groups like, you know, Antifa basically chanting that, and you know, they could probably run for Congress and win. So quick commercial break. Back with Chris Rufo soon. Two thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. You could be one of them sitting in the dark and cold for hours, for days, maybe even weeks. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be. With the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X, folks say this new solar generator from Four Patriots is worth its weight in gold. Why? Because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Or other devices like an electric blanket, microwave, RV air conditioner, or even an electric wheelchair. You also get 12 outlets, including four AC outlets so you can power more devices at once and two USB-C outlets, which can charge your phone 20 times faster than a regular plug. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot power generators. Go to 4patriots.com Lisa to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4patriots.com Lisa. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hey guys, it's Rich Davis from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure ready RAV4. 
Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance or any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew could stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you could sit back and enjoy the wide open views with the whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter what your style, you could drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. You know, so I, I want to talk about uh, the FBI and the Biden's weaponization of the law against parents in America, we saw on September 29th, the National School Boards Association, which represents something like 90,000 school board members uh, who govern our country's 14,000 local public school districts, uh, educating about 50 million school children. So they wrote a letter to the Biden administration. Uh, in the letter, they're warning about the threats from parents in America. And, and in the request or in the, the letter, it says they want they want them to examine appropriate enforceable actions against these crimes under the Patriot Act in regards to domestic terrorism, the Hate Crimes Prevention Act, and all other applicable federal laws. And the letter goes on. Uh, you know, first of all, what do you make of that letter from the National School Board uh, Boards Association? Yeah, the the school board letter is really deeply disturbing. I mean, they're asserting that. Uh, these rowdy protests at school boards are a form of domestic terrorism and should be prosecuted under the Patriot Act. I mean, to actually write that on paper and send it to the president of the United States is, is just bizarre. It's really disconcerting. But um, what I did with this letter uh, was I actually went through every footnote in the letter. So my, my research team, we went through every footnote. We looked at every reference because they're painting this picture that there's widespread, widespread violence, uh, across the country, around around school boards, but when you actually look at the evidence they present, there's only one single example of physical violence against a school official. Someone was being escorted out of a school building or surrounding a school board meeting, and he either pushed or shoved or or struck a school board official, which obviously should be condemned. You can't uh, be physically violent well, with 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 anyone, especially a public official. Uh, but this is hardly justification. I mean, simple assaults and batteries happen, you know, hundreds of thousands of times every day across this country. It's hardly the justification for saying that uh, because one school official got pushed in Illinois, therefore all of the hundreds of thousands of parents uh, that are pro- that are protesting at these school board meetings uh, should be considered uh, supporters of domestic terrorism. I mean, this is so far beyond the pale. And then to not only have that letter be sent, which I think is outrageous, uh, but to have it be received and then acted upon by the Attorney General of the United States, who has now mobilized an FBI task force uh, to monitor uh, and to intervene and to disrupt uh, uh, school board meetings, local school board meetings, I think is such a suppression. It's such a naked attempt to criminalize political opposition. Uh, you can only imagine, you know, FBI agents who you, you would think are, are infiltrating, uh, you know, Al-Qaeda terror cells uh, are now going to be infiltrating PTA meetings in Boise. I mean, it's such a comical uh, and, and really darkly absurd 
development. Um, I, I think the administration has to either back down uh, or, uh, you know, if they don't, we have to force them to. Well, and the attorney general's memo said that they that this is about addressing a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation and threats of violence against school administrators board members, teachers, and staff who participate in the vital work of running our nation's public schools. As you mentioned, there are no instances of actual violence. And I think you said even the the instance you cited, that person was being essentially manhandled out, right? Didn't you say that he was being, uh, that they were dragging him out? So, I mean, you could almost even argue that, like, that's probably unnecessary to begin with, that, you know, he was probably, you know, reacting to that. But but regardless, so basically there, 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 aren't, there aren't examples that they have listed of real actual threats that would even remotely involved the DOJ and the FBI. That's right. Exactly. They, they actually, the, the attorney general listed zero examples. They just asserted it was no evidence uh, because they want you to believe that it's true. And I mean, certainly we've seen rowdy school board meetings. We've seen heated school board meetings. We've seen uh, parents uh, arguing and, and uh, you know, we've seen some threatening behavior, uh, all of which I think we should avoid. I don't think it's right. I think it's, it's, it's both kind of morally and strategically uh, the wrong way. Uh, but the reality is that democracy, uh, the democratic process uh, sometimes evokes heated emotions. And if they cross the line into threats or violence or intimidation, uh, there's a perfectly normal recourse. You go to your local police department. Uh, these are local issues that should be handled by local authorities. There's nothing to justify a nationwide FBI dragnet uh, I mean, there's zero justification and zero historical precedent for that. And so I think what we can interpret it as the true intention is to really uh, slander uh, and tar all of these parents who are taking time out of their day to go improve their kids' education, to participate in their local democracy, uh, to, to, to say that not only are you racist, which was the, the, the insult that they tried to apply over the summer, but now you're actually a domestic terrorist. So you've gone from committing a moral crime to an actual statutory crime uh, and, and creating a pretext to now potentially even jail people for voicing a political opposition uh, in a manner that the Biden administration uh, doesn't like. And uh, this is unprecedented. This is, this is an absolute suppression. And I hope that any parents uh, that are hearing this are not deterred. Obviously, uh, approach it. You know, you can have passion, but, but you know, be peaceful. Uh, but you have to actually now double down. And I want to see twice as many parents showing up to these school board meetings uh, because we can't show uh, th- this administration that they can just intimidate uh, and, and, and tar us uh, as racists and terrorists and whatever other, you know, awful epithet they might throw. Uh, we're not going to be intimidated because we know that ultimately uh, these institutions uh, should be accountable to the public. Schools should be accountable to parents. And we're not going to back down. Well, and you're right. I mean, I tweeted this out the other day. You know, sometimes speaking out is scary, but the ability to not or to, to not be able to is even scarier. And of course, that's where this all heads if the left has their way of where, you know, we lose that ability in this country that we no longer are a free country. We are a country with a centralized government where the left holds all of the power and we have none. And that's why it's important at this moment and critical at this moment for people to speak out and stand up for free speech and stand up for freedom and our civil liberties in America. You know, but but for the FBI and the DOJ, why, why would this even be an issue for them to get involved in? 
I, I mean, I think the clear implication, if you look at the timeline and then you uh, kind of uh, do some thinking, and I actually have a rec- public FOIA request pending that I suspect will prove this, but I, I think the most likely explanation is that the National School Board Association, uh, the teachers unions, and other key Democratic Party constituencies that really have all the power uh, publicly and likely privately pressured the administration uh, to do this. And then the administration immediately responds. And then you have the NSBA and the teachers unions uh, celebrating within hours of this DOJ memo. So you really have, I think, uh, a clear instance of the Department of Justice, the attorney general and the FBI doing the bidding of the teachers unions. Uh, who have been uh, really under unprecedented pressure because of their unprecedented failure. They shut down schools. They kept them shut for a year. uh, And now they're forcing kind of nonsensical masking policies and then shoving critical race theory down the throats of kindergartners. Uh, Parents are justifiably upset. And in order to deflect uh, attention from their own failures, the teachers unions and school board unions, are now trying to label anyone who opposes them a terrorist uh, rather than actually understanding why parents are upset and making the changes. I mean, we have uh, teachers unions who are the laziest and most corrupt institutions in America that are now literally pulling the strings uh, of the FBI and the attorney general. Um, And that's what I think has sparked such deep and broad outrage about this move. Well, and just to further underscore the point you're making, I mean, Randy Weingarten, uh, the teachers union president, publicly thanked Merrick Garland for doing this. They're really, I think, signaling very clearly this is this is the kind of chain of events. This is what's happening. And uh, it also happened very quickly. It happened, I think, within five days of the original school board association letter, um, which suggests that kind of speed suggests that this is something that had been ongoing. And, you know, I, I think the deepest question that is, that is revealed through this whole uh, fiasco, through this whole conflict, uh, isn't really about any of those surface issues. It's not about uh, masking or no masking. It's not about close the schools, open the schools. It's not about critical race theory or no critical race theory. It's really a question of authority. Who is the ultimate authority over these public institutions? Uh, is it parents and voters and legislators who tried now to reassert control? Or is it the permanent school bureaucracy, uh, the directors of diversity and inclusion, and the teachers unions, all of whom operate outside uh, the democratic process as permanent bureaucratic elements? Um, who's in control? Uh, is it the public or is it the, 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 the bureaucracy? Uh, who runs America's institutions? And To me, this is the the key question and will be really seen over the next few years. Uh, Is our republic, is our system of government, is our our actual citizenry strong enough to retain public control? Or have we ceded our institutions to the bureaucrats to such an extent that we're not even in control of our own tax dollars, of our own entities, of our own kids' education? it's a really troubling question, and I don't know the answer. I, you know, my hope is that the public is still in control, uh, but it's too early to tell. Uh, it really remains to be seen. But yeah, I mean, it, it gets down to the, the basic issue of are we still a constitutional republic or not? 
Yeah, that's right. And I, I hope we are, you know, I'm, I'm an optimistic person by nature. So I, 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 I like to think that we can, we are, and I like to think that the public can reassert itself. Um, but what we've seen is that uh, the entrenched powers and interests are willing to go uh, all the way. I mean, they're willing to unleash the FBI on public school parents. Uh, this is something that I think is a desperate move, perhaps signaling weakness, uh, but it's also a very authoritarian move. Uh, signaling a willingness to cement their control over these institutions. So that's really the question. And and I think it's not an exaggeration to say that our our constitutional republic, as you said, uh, is really at risk. It's really in play right now. Well, I think that's the battle that's going on right now. And I think it's actually even more disturbing than some of this because, you know, I saw this video a while ago of where uh, young Uyghur children uh, were forced to pledge allegiance to China, more or less. And I, I think that's what this is about. You know, it's about communism and how these people in charge on the left, they want our kids to be beholden to the government versus the parents. And so breaking up that family unit and forcing that allegiance gives them further control. And so, I, you know, I, I actually personally believe it's all like even more disturbing than all of this, um, you know, but to, to get into also like the, the way the media and like basically how the whole system works. So not, you know, then you've got the teachers union president thanking Merrick Garland after the school boards association sends this letter spurring the DOJ and the FBI into action. And then you have the media sweep in and come in to run cleanup and to cover for the left in the system. And the Associated Press is trying to. Uh, you know, then fact check and say, oh, the the National School Boards Association didn't really say this. So, so talk about the Associated Press uh, recently and the fact check that didn't go so well for them <laughs> in part to your in part because of your doing. But yeah, break, break that down for the folks at home. It, they, they've done this to me like a lot of different times, whether it's Snopes or The Washington Post or the AP. I mean, they're so upset at a lot of these materials that I've uncovered in my reporting. Uh, that they try to play these language games to say, well, this word doesn't really mean this thing, and, uh, and therefore it's false. I mean, it's so easily debunked, but it, 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 it's designed not to tell the truth, not to be a real fact check. It's designed to delegitimize their opponents. And so, so then someone can say, well, actually, you know, the AP fact check, it, and it's false. And in this case, it's so bizarre. I mean, it's so bizarre. Uh, it's almost hard to believe, but the AP released a fact check. They fact checked uh, an Instagram post that had screenshotted my Twitter uh, uh, post or tweet uh, that, that, that highlighted the uh, letter uh, from, from the attorney general and said, you know, the attorney general has mobilized the FBI uh, against parents at school board meetings, citing, citing uh, unspecified threats. And it follows the National School Board Association requesting that the FBI or that the that the government uh, classify uh, parent protests as quote domestic terrorism, and they said no, that's false. They didn't ask them to to reclassify as domestic terrorism, which is bizarre because the actual letter is available publicly and it says domestic terrorism twice. It says uh, these acts of malice, uh, threats, and violence should be considered are equivalent to an act of domestic terrorism and that they should be prosecuted under, under the Patriot Act, according to the domestic terrorism laws. I mean, it's very clearly laid out in this letter. And then they said it's false. And their justification was, well, they're not saying that all parents should be labeled domestic terrorists, only the parents who are committing acts of malice, 
threats and violence. And it's like they're fact checking a claim that no one made. I certainly didn't say that they should. They're saying all parents. But what is an act of malice? Uh, is yelling at a school board official an act of malice or is it protected speech? Is it domestic terrorism or is it political participation? Uh, the letter itself was so broad that it could capture a majority of these parents. And the, the, the AP apparently uh, lacked the basic uh, knowledge and reading comprehension, really, uh, or, or honesty and integrity, probably all of the above, uh, in order to release an honest fact check. So what we had is actually just beautiful. I mean, the ratio on their tweet, you know, their fact check was, you know, 2,000 to, to one, uh, and, and people aren't buying it anymore. And then you have the fact check reporter and then the editor of fact checking locking their Twitter accounts because they were getting uh, exposed uh, uh, by so many people of the public. And then I have an official complaint in. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if they back down. We'll see if they retract. Uh, if they do, I'm certainly going to celebrate that and, uh, and you know, do a little end zone dance uh, on, the, on the corpse of the AP's reputation. Uh, and if they don't, we're just going to keep hammering them because uh, fact checking, I think, is probably the most dishonest uh, segment of the news business. And, uh, you know, we should attack it until it loses all its credibility. Well, and we've seen that even with COVID, like the, the, the sources of information or like the CDC and people who have like literally changed the story and changed the information and like going from, oh, you know, COVID vaccines will prevent the spread of COVID to saying, oh, just kidding. Like it won't do, you know what I mean? And these are the basis of the fact check. So it's, it's all just a ruse. It's all, you know, garbage, which is really the whole point of this podcast is I feel like we're living in this increasingly post-truth world and it's an opportunity to have people like you come on i feel like we're, we, it feels like we're all living in the dumpster just wait just waiting through the garbage that's what it feels like on a daily basis <laughs> it's just I, i'm sure you know you're you're in this so it, it's like i just feel like we live it's like it, it, it just feels like we're living in this insane asylum like it's like this bizarro world up is down down is up nothing makes and like the irony of all of this is like the fbi the assistant director of counterterrorism recently admitted in a congressional hearing that they don't really track left-wing violence. He said that the Bureau doesn't consider Antifa to be an organization, so they're not... So it's like... So so that's not of concern when they're literally a freaking war zone in Portland, Oregon, but parents who are standing up for their right to what to, to learn and to know what their kids are being taught when they're paying the teacher salaries as taxpayers don't, you know, but but Antifa burning down cities and locking federal agents into a courthouse and trying to light it on fire, that's not an issue. It's like what the actual, you know, F, right? So I'm not going to curse my, my parents do listen to this, so I don't, <laughs> but like what the actual hell? And I think, you know, on the one hand, they obviously know. I mean, these are smart people. These are educated people. They have, they've seen the, I mean, the pictures. Uh, um, this is obviously, uh, I mean, they know the truth. They see it. Um, but I think the, the really astonishing thing is that they know the truth. They know that we know the truth. But they have such a strong grip on power that they can blatantly lie to the public without any serious consequences. And I think for conservatives, uh, I, I think oftentimes we get caught in, this, in this, this trap that maybe feels good momentarily but doesn't achieve anything, where a lot of us think, well, you know, we'll just expose the hypocrisy and, you know, we got them. It's like, no, you, we have to figure out strategies where we can change the balance of power so that we can actually hold them accountable uh, and, and reduce their power, threaten their power, uh, uh, take away their power, uh, so that they actually change the behavior 
uh, because right now they're getting away with it. I mean, they really are getting away with it. They can say that parent protesters who yell at school board members are going to be investigated by the F- a national FBI task force as domestic terrorists, but kind of mentally ill criminals in Portland, Oregon, dressed in all black that are trapping federal employees in a courthouse building and then lighting it on fire uh, don't even exist. I mean, it's, it's that level of, of insane delusion uh, that I think we can only break through with serious reforms and hopefully uh, uh, actually exercising our power in a way that will make a difference. But see, I think even saying Antifa, you know, mentally ill is doing them a favor. Uh, I think that these people are just uh, rotten in their heart and in their souls and are truly evil people. And, uh, you know, mentally ill would sort of take away the uh, the agency in knowing what they're doing and the decisions that they're making. I think there's room for both. Yeah, I think I, there is likely that both. I mean, you, you have actually high. Pre, I mean, I'm saying a factual thing. You have a high prevalence of mental illness among a lot of these people, because I think the people you're talking about that are truly evil and motivated by those intentions then recruit the kind of broken and mentally ill as their foot soldiers. And uh, we've seen reporting on that. And you have people who are, yeah, I mean, really intentioned to burn down the country and to hate everyone and to cause death and destruction. Uh, And then the people who are attracted to that message that are being really manipulated and used by these organizations. I mean, it's, it's all, it's all bad. It's really all really a, a kind of tragic situation. And you'd hope that we have, a law enforcement apparatus that would be able to break it up to not only stop the violence, but also to protect some of the vulnerable people who are swept into it. Um, we don't have that. I mean, we really don't have that. They have essentially a, a blank check and, and a carte blanche from the government uh, to do whatever they want. Um, I'm not going to lie. That was a good response. You've done this before, Chris. You're good at this. Um, so I want I want to get into but, but before we all get you know, I, I know it's hard for, you know, the folks listening to this, including myself, including Chris, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's hard not to feel sort of the a sadness about what's going on in our country and a heavy heartedness, but there have been wins and you are making a difference and you're bringing this to light and you are exposing a lot of this information and you are, I mean, the media went from basically saying this wasn't happening to fast forwarding and sticking the FBI and the DOJ on parents, right? So that has happened. You've also, uh, you've exposed so many companies around the country as well and corporations for what they're doing. And Fox Business recently reported that major Wall Street firms are ditching critical race theory training programs. Uh, so you you are making a difference. I mean, this is having an impact. Talk about some of those wins and some of the change that has happened by bringing this all to light. Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, we've we've won. I mean, it's it's really you know me, James Lindsay, a couple other folks. It's a very small group of people that are really have been working on this. But uh, despite our, our our lack of numbers and our lack of budget uh, compared to our adversaries, we've done something I think amazing. We've gone from about zero percent name recognition for critical race theory to now 150 million American adults. 72% of American adults have been following the story and know about critical race theory. Uh, so in one year, we've educated 150 million people to some degree. And among those people now, they oppose critical race theory by about a 20-point margin. Uh, and then parents oppose it by, in some cases, a 40-point margin. I mean, we've absolutely decisively won this public opinion battle by raising the issue, creating the language, and then unleashing 
uh, this grassroots movement, uh, arming parents with the vocabulary to get this done. And we've also flipped school boards. Uh, we've had parent, parent activists uh, uh, get the resignation of school superintendents that are pushing critical race theory, not just in red states, but actually in multiple school districts in New York state. And then we've also passed legislation or school board uh, mandates, uh, state, state board of education mandates in nine states, banning critical race pedagogies and indoctrination from K-12 schools. So we've protected 75 million people and their kids from critical race theory in K-12 classrooms through state legislation. And then finally, uh, even corporations, um, just by relentlessly exposing them, have started to back down. And some of them, you know, won't say which ones, uh, you know, came after me, uh, you know, stick to their lobbyists and PR firms and lawyers. Uh, but we stood tall, we stood strong, and eventually these mega corporations uh, backed down. Uh, and uh, I think it really signals uh, some hope, some possibility that if, you, if we have the courage to stand up for this, uh, we can rally public pressure and public opinion in order to win. And we're, I think, seeing that. And then we're seeing, I think, the FBI kind of fiasco legitimizes us uh, in, in a few important ways. One, it shows that we are a serious threat to the control of the teachers unions and the school board association uh, over these public schools. I mean, they see us now as a threat to their political and economic power. Um, but also, I think it elevates us in a kind of curious way that, uh, that really shows us, uh, this movement of us, kind of the intellectuals who are involved in this, but also our, our, our parent uh, activists and parent protesters, um, that it really draws the battle lines. I mean, it really is saying this is an us versus them battle, and we are the, the counterculture in many ways. We are the opposition. We are the, 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 the rebel force. And I think, you know, to me, it, it, it gives us almost a, a kind of romantic air. Uh, it gives us a, a sense that we are fighting the system. We're fighting the man. We're fighting the, you know, the, the feds. Um, and uh, to me, I, I think it shows that we've reversed roles since the 1960s. Uh, and now, now parents who want a, a good education, they want to raise their kids, uh, they love this country, um, it's clear. I mean, the state has mobilized against us uh, and it's up to us to now mobilize against the state. Well, and also, I mean, we've seen support for school choice skyrocket throughout COVID. We've seen, I think, over 1.5 million students leave government run schools. Homeschooling, I think, I believe has tripled. So we're, we're seeing parents take action, too, in the decisions that they, they are making for their children. Uh, and then, you know, if they can't make those actions, if they, if they can't afford their pool, their kids out of public schools, we're at least seeing support for school choice skyrocket. And hopefully people vote accordingly because local elections matter. Federal elections matter. It all matters. And it all comes down to getting active and getting out there. You know, you tweeted this uh, recently. You tweeted when we mounted the attack against critical race theory, we hit the regime at its ideological nerve center. Now the regime is trying to reassert control. Hold the line. How do we hold the line? I mean, keep doing what you're doing. I mean, we're winning. And, and I think that we need to redouble our efforts. So um, if you're feeling tired, you had a long day, your kids are driving you crazy, uh, still get up and know that you have to go to that school board meeting. Uh, run for school board. Run for mayor. Um, 
get active in your local community. If you have a company that is kind of going down this path, uh, you know, rally some of your colleagues and send an email to the CEO saying why you oppose it. We don't want critical race theory in the workplace. And we can hold the line. And actually, we can, I think we're actually moving the line very much in our favor uh, uh, against our, our opponents um, by these simple actions and really by the activities, not of any organized uh, movement or institutions. We don't have those. But what we do have is the public energy. And we need to keep stoking that public energy, keep renewing that public energy. And then really having these great parents who in 99% of cases are making an eloquent, informed, and impassioned case, uh, you need to keep showing up. Uh, we can't give up now. I think that, uh, uh, you know, this really shows that we can actually uh, take control over these institutions as they were intended to be, uh, which is controlled uh, by the public, controlled by voters, controlled by parents. Uh, and, and so, you know, yeah, hold the line, double down, do not stop, um, just keep going. And I think that uh, uh, the, the great kind of motivator here is that people care about their kids. And if people sense that their kids are being threatened or abused, um, you know, they'll go to great lengths. And that's what we're seeing. And that's what I hope we continue to see. And where can people find your work and support the work that you're doing? Yeah, you can find uh, all of my uh, articles, essays, films, videos at my website. It's ChristopherRufo.com. That's ChristopherRufo.com. Uh, I also have now 2,500 uh, small supporters, $5, 10 $20 a month uh, that really help fuel this and help me uh, create content, do the research, uh, have a, a team of people working uh, on these projects. And so uh, that's a great way to support what I'm doing. Chris, you're doing great work and you're actually putting points on the board. So thank you for what you're doing. And I really, really, really appreciate you taking the time for, for my show. Likewise. Good to talk to you. I want to thank Chris Rufo again for such an incredible interview. I learned so much. I hope you guys did too. That's the whole point of the show, to dig deep beyond surface level, to get to the truth of these big issues we're facing as a nation at this critical juncture for our country. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at at Lisa Marie Booth. Special thanks to our producer, John Cassio, writer and researcher, Aaron Kliegman, and our executive producers, Debbie Myers and speaker New Gingrich, all part of the Gingrich 360 network and team. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4 slash Lisa to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4 slash Lisa. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. 
What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. <laughs> 